Do you have a story you want to see in a future video? Send it my way. Go to AsTheRavenDreams.com slash submit or check the links down below and thank you. Every year, my family would have a big 4th of July party. My grandparents would come over, aunts, uncles, cousins, and even some close friends and neighbors. All the kids would line up their fireworks, and we would decide in what order we wanted to shoot everything. The adults always prepared the food, and would sit around and talk. It was always a blast. We rarely had issues, as in fights, injuries, and the such, and I think a lot of that had to do with my grandfather. If anyone tried to start an argument, he always knew what to say to get people to calm down and ease the tension. He was a smart man, and I definitely learned a lot from him over the years. As I got older and started going to parties or hosting my own, I always held on to some of his wisdom and advice to make me a better person. One of the things he taught me was to be aware of your surroundings. He was in the Air Force, and he always talked about how important it is to know what's happening around you, and while you shouldn't dwell on the negative, you should also be able to get an idea as to possible outcomes around you, and know how to react to them appropriately. This has helped me tremendously in my career of becoming an aircraft mechanic, as you have to be precise in everything you do. Another thing he taught me was, no matter where you live or your age, it's always polite to get to know your neighbors. Again, you never know if you could be the person they need in their life to be a friend, or someone they can turn to when they feel they may be in trouble or need help. So, when my parents moved and I was still young, we made little baskets for everyone on our block as a way of introducing ourselves. These were two things he taught me that are important to this story today. I was thankful that my wife was able to meet my grandfather before his passing, so she knew all about him and his wisdom. So, when we got our first place together... She knew that we would have to introduce ourselves to the block. We moved in early June and decided we wanted to have a housewarming party and 4th of July party all in one. Because of this, we agreed that we would let the neighborhood know, as well as a warning in case we got too loud or if they wanted to join and get to know each other better. We prepared our gifts that week, and over that weekend... We went off to start handing them out. Everything went as I would expect. Some people were happy to meet us, some were surprised people still introduced themselves, and some even wanted to show my wife her jewelry collection. There were two houses, though, that we did not get an answer at, so we left our gift with a card at the door so they still get the introduction and invite. One of our neighbors, Kathy, seemed to be the cliché neighbor that knows everything about everyone, so we got the short version of everyone's history from her. I appreciated this since I wasn't able to meet everyone, and I had mentioned this to her. 
she explained that one house was someone's winter house and that they wouldn't be back for a few months. And the other one, she said to give up on trying to meet them. Curious, I asked her about this. She said it was a middle-aged couple living there. They rarely went outside. She thinks the guy worked overnight, as she always saw him coming home late at night and not leaving until the evening. While the woman always left midday, looking her best, and coming home before he left for the night. She tried talking to them on a few occasions, and the guy tended to ignore her, while the woman seemed to rush the conversation, and did not want to get too close. She said she gave up on trying to get to know them, but she'd had her door camera, so she always saw them coming and going since they lived across from her. I kept this in the back of my mind to process it later. We said our goodbyes, and finished by going back to the winter house to pick up the gift we had left, and agreed to try again in the winter, being assured by Kathy that she would let us know when they got back. The following morning, as we left to get coffee, I noticed the gift from the mysterious couple's home was gone, so hopefully they got it, and at least enjoyed it. The next couple of weeks went by as normal. We unpacked and prepared ourselves for the party. This whole time, we never saw the couple. Kathy was certainly right. It was going to make for a difficult time if we ever wanted to try meeting them. Then came the night of the party. Both of our parents showed up, a few of our siblings, because some couldn't make it, as well as some old friends and new neighbors. Kathy came over and brought us a cake, I believe, but said since her dog was afraid of fireworks, that she would watch hours from her home so he wasn't alone. A few people had kids with them, so we kept it appropriate for the time being. After the kids finished off their fireworks and those families left as well as our parents, we started getting a little more rowdy. There was more drinking, a little more stupidity with fireworks, but everyone was having a good time. At one point, I was fetching more rounds for everyone, asking who all wanted one, when I noticed a guy that was talking to my wife's friend over towards the side of the patio that I didn't recognize at first. He was wearing dark jeans that appeared to be really muddy, a button-down shirt that was halfway open, and a baseball cap. Thinking it was someone her friend brought along, I asked if they wanted anything and made my way to the kitchen to grab the drinks. I gave her friend and the guy the drinks, they both said thanks, and I carried on passing out the rest. As the night went on, I saw the same guy talking to the other people, including my wife. He was still carrying around the same bottle that I got him, and when I asked if he wanted another, or if I could take it from him, he always refused, saying that he was still drinking it. I kept an eye on him just because I didn't recognize him, and no one had introduced him to me yet. We still enjoyed our night taking pictures and recording our stupid antics until it was time for people to start dispersing. When my wife was seeing her friend off, 
I noticed the guy wasn't with her, so I went and asked her about him. She said that she had come alone, but the guy was talking to her for quite a bit. She said she didn't recognize him either, and thought it was one of my friends from work since I was talking to him quite a bit. I let it go, thinking maybe he was someone from work that I just didn't know too well, or maybe he came with someone else and I didn't notice. I did drink a lot that night, so I was also not fully there, I'm sure. We cleaned up a bit and headed to bed. Thankfully, we were off the next day so we could recover, but we're still never able to determine who our mystery guest was. As I was coming home from work sometime that same week, I saw several cop cars at the non-social neighbor's house. Like anyone would, I tried looking to see if I could tell what was going on, but I couldn't see much more than crime scene tape going across the house. I got home to be greeted by my wife and Kathy in the living room. They told me that they didn't know what was going on yet either, but Kathy was already visiting when the police started showing up. Shortly after I got home, Kathy mentioned going back home so she could try to find out more, and we actually had someone else knocking on our door. It was another officer, wanting to ask us questions about our neighbor and if we had seen him. I explained that I didn't even know what they looked like, but Kathy began describing them more and said that she hadn't seen them in a few days. The officer pulled out a picture to show us and asked if we had seen him when my wife and I realized he was the guy that was at our party. Kathy and the officer both looked shocked. The officer began asking us what he was wearing, how long he was there, wanted to know when he got there and when he left. If he said anything to us, or if he was acting suspicious at all. We tried to answer the best we could about his whereabouts, and explained he was technically invited, but since we never actually met them, we didn't know if they would show up or not. Kathy finally started asking the questions that we were all wondering, to find out what was going on when the officer tried being vague, but still informed us. He said that they were called there on a welfare check by someone, and upon arrival, they had reason to enter the property, where they found a female's body in the tub, and the man that lived there was nowhere to be found. Kathy's description confirmed it was the woman that lived there, and we were all in shock. They said they were looking for him for questioning, and asked us to call if we saw him, but to avoid letting him know as he might be dangerous. So, we were obviously a bit on edge at this point, not knowing what to do. We offered to let Kathy and her dogs stay in our spare room so she wasn't alone, but she was insistent that she would be okay by herself. We walked her back home, and when we returned, we made sure that all the windows and doors were locked, just to make sure that there was no chance of somebody getting in. Thankfully, we also had security cameras that we could watch as well. That day came and went without them finding the guy. News vans started showing up, and we were seeing it on TV by this point. 
that's when it started getting worse. They said that he was wanted for the murder of his girlfriend who most likely died on the 4th. That is when I started thinking, this guy was definitely at my place on the 4th of July. He wasn't talking about himself much, but he made sure to talk to a few people to make it obvious that he was there. I began feeling like we were being used as an alibi. I felt sick. This girl was either dead or dying in a house a few down from ours while we were there covering for him, a murderer. Our families were there. It was a terrifying thought. While it was a bittersweet result, as a woman did lose her life, they did finally catch the guy. He was trying to flee the country, but only got as far as Texas when they finally caught him. Now, this was coming from Kathy. She said her husband was a cop, so she knew some of the detectives. They told her that the woman's sister hadn't heard from her, and the guy had a record, and she was worried something had happened. She was most likely killed the night of the 4th, so that confirmed my suspicions. We were definitely being used. I'm glad they caught the guy, but since the incident, I monitor things a hell of a lot better, at least as to who comes over to my place or who I'm around in general. My grandfather was definitely right. You really can't be too careful. Growing up, me and my brother lived in my grandparents' home with our mother. She had us at a young age, so my parents didn't last long. My grandparents helped raise us while my mother went back and forth between working and trying to live like a teenager with no kids. We could go a few days without seeing her. Our grandparents would get us off to school, feed us, bathe us... My mother didn't care much for responsibilities. The less work she had to do, the better, which is why none of her jobs lasted more than six months, and she was always taking advantage of whatever she could get, like unemployment. I bring this up because it shows how much I respected my grandparents and looked up to them. When my mom ran off with someone to another state, thinking that they would get married then come back to us, and have this rich life. My grandparents were the ones that paid for our school fees, bought us lunch, helped with homework, all of that. My grandmother it was such a kind and giving person. She taught me everything I needed to know about cooking, fixing and mending my own clothes. She helped me learn how to do my own hair, while well, my grandfather always tried teaching me and my brother how to be self-sufficient and fix things on our own. He acted tough, but he had a soft heart as well. He was always giving my mother another chance just for her to take advantage of them over and over again. And this always made for interesting holidays. The house wasn't huge, but it certainly wasn't small either. It was a three-bedroom, but they had a big backyard, so the holidays were usually spent over there. 
my grandparents would always be in the same spot inside. Grandpa would be sitting in his big recliner, and Grandma in her rocking chair that he had made for her. Outside, they had two rocking lawn chairs they always sat in, while everyone else had to decide where they wanted to be. It was a perfect view of the whole yard, so they could see everyone coming and going, and on the 4th of July, it was a perfect view of the fireworks, going straight up. My grandmother loved the fountains. She didn't care much for the huge mortars that went into the sky, but the little ones that always had a story to them and different colors, she loved those. As we grew up, my mom continued being the same person she was, so she became more of a distant relative. However, when my grandfather passed away a few years after I graduated high school, she was around more often, trying to care for my grandmother. I ended up getting an apartment nearby to help out as well. When I would come over, we would begin to hear weird sounds or have weird events occur, and my grandma would always say it was grandpa watching over us. I used to just shrug it off, thinking it was just something people said to help cope with the loss. I'm sure feeling like someone is close to you that you've lost can ease the pain. I began to believe it more and more when I would personally experience things. My nickname that my grandpa gave me was Buttons, because I started collecting them. I've bought many clothing items, purses, and bags just because I liked the way they looked, and would cut out the buttons and use the items for something else. My grandfather worked at a junkyard, and if he ever found any, he would always bring them home to me too. And so, when I started finding buttons that I'd never seen before in places they shouldn't be, I really felt like it was him giving them to me as gifts. I became a little more open to the possibility from then on. So, continuing with tradition, we would always keep Grandpa's seat open for the 4th of July, so he could be there with my grandma. Over the years, I ended up getting married and my husband moved in with me. My mom also started losing interest in helping out my grandma, so she would begin disappearing for days again, so I would have to go over to make sure she had enough food and toiletries, and just make sure she was okay. My brother also moved out of state, so there was little that he could do to help. I'm thankful my husband was always understanding when I would have to go over there after work, or when he was willing to help me to get her groceries for her. Sadly, my grandmother passed away too, due to heart complications, and once again, that meant that my mother would be back around. She wanted to help as much as possible with the funeral arrangements. She spent time with me and my husband too, and actually kind of seemed like a normal person. However, I would learn that it was more so to find out about her will. My grandpa, of course, left everything to my grandmother if she survived, so now she would actually get something out of them. Turns out, they actually left her their house, but most of the money they had saved, they gave it to me and my brother. I could tell this angered my mom because she wanted the opposite. 
She threw many hints at us about it, too, but we always ignored it or changed the subject. She actually moved into the house. We stopped talking to her for the most part and just went about our lives. I ended up putting the money I got into savings to hold on to as we were planning on getting our own home and starting a family. To speed this along, it was less than two years since my grandmother's passing for my mom to destroy that house. I went over there a few times, and she had tried to sell almost everything she could. When she tried selling their lawn chairs, I actually paid her for them and begged her to keep them there until I had a place. Since she started running out of money and couldn't pay for the repairs, she was actually trying to find someone to sell the house. She tried letting her friends live there, but quickly learned that, much like her, they didn't want to pay rent. I couldn't stand to see this house go to someone else or take any more damage, so after talking to my husband, we agreed to try and buy it from my mom. After many discussions and her asking for ridiculous amounts, she finally agreed to let us have it. We made very strict rules about her not being able to show up uninvited, and that the locks would be changed to prevent this too, and she agreed. Of course, saying one thing and following through are two totally different things. Throughout the next year or so, we made the necessary repairs and moved in, but I noticed that, unlike my grandfather was in the past, there seemed to be no presence of either of them. I would notice this on those bad days where I just wished they were still around to see what I had all achieved. This made it even harder when I was pregnant and had my first child. I wanted them to be able to meet her and show her that grandparent love that I got. Before I continue, I will say that shortly before my daughter was born, I cut all ties with my mother. We found out she was involved in some really shady and dangerous things as well as people. She brought someone to my baby shower, uninvited, and they tried doing coke in my bathroom. I told them to leave before I called the cops, and that she was never allowed to come back. She has not met my daughter, and she tries calling to see her in between asking for money, so I blocked her number and tried to move on without her in my life. Now, my daughter was born healthy and happy in April. Other than my husband's birthday in June, the next big holiday coming up was going to be the 4th of July. So, we wanted to have a small party with a few friends. As we started setting up the yard, I remembered the lawn chairs, and I dug around the shed to find them. They weren't taken care of like I would have liked, but they were still there. So... I cleaned them up and put them right back where they belonged. When we went to get our fireworks, I saw a huge fountain called the Beautiful Rose. My grandmother's name was Rose, and I just knew that she would love it, so I happily brought it home with me. The party was going great, as I expected. At one point, I went and laid my daughter down to sleep. I turned on the monitor and clipped the other one to my shirt so I could hear her if she woke up. While we were outside, a friend asked about the lawn chairs, and I explained their history. 
When I went over to move a plate that was sitting in one of the chairs, I noticed something under it. It was a button with the name Chloe on it. My daughter's name. It was odd that it was under the chair, and after a quick thought, I knew it was my grandfather, which made me ecstatic. As the night progressed, though, I started having more events like this occur. It may sound weird to some, but I would find the letter C everywhere. When we would move the dead fireworks, I would pick up the shredded pieces of paper, I would throw the plates away and the sauce on it would make a letter. I mentioned it in passing to my friend who was there who was very spiritual, and she said it may be a sign from someone else. At first I chuckled at the idea, and then became curious. So I went and grabbed the piece that I recently threw away in the plate, and to my surprise, it spelled out Chloe again. I thought I was crazy, but then my friend asked if she was okay. I thought it was weird at first because I knew she was fine until she said it may be their way of getting my attention. So we went to her room and as I opened the door, to my horror, Chloe was not in her bed. The window was open and the monitor had been turned off. My friend ran to get my husband as I ran to the window. Her room faced the front of the house, and we were all out back, so we didn't notice. As I ran out the front door, I noticed someone sitting under her window. As I approached the person, preparing to knock them out, I realized it was my mother, rocking my daughter back and forth. I grabbed her from her, as I noticed she was obviously on something. She was twitching a lot and trying to talk, but could hardly make a sentence or stand up on her own. I started screaming at her and all she could say was sorry and choking. I started looking at Chloe when I noticed she wasn't hardly moving. I brought her inside and then noticed that she was turning purple. By the time the police and ambulances showed up, we found out she came over wanting to meet Chloe, high on something. She had a bottle of apple juice and she was trying to feed it to her, and she nearly made her choke and drown. Thankfully, Chloe was okay. My mom? She was taken to jail since she had stuff on her too, and we decided not to press charges but did get a restraining order. We haven't heard from her in quite some time, but my brother still talks to her. He claims that she's cleaned up and doing better, but I'm still not sure that I'm ready to see her. If I had waited much longer to check on her, Chloe could have had brain damage. To this day, I'm certain that it was my grandparents trying to get my attention. From the button letting me know they were there, and all the letters trying their hardest to warn me, I'm definitely more accepting of paranormal experiences now and I do think that they are still helping me raise her, even if they're not physically there. I live in a cozy little home with my son and husband. Since our home is on the smaller side, we usually go to other people's homes for holidays or parties. One past year, we wanted to do something for just our family, 
so we decided we would go camping for the 4th of July weekend. Our county also doesn't allow fireworks, so we thought we would find a place in the next state over and have a different view, see a fireworks show, and maybe light off a few of our own. Our son had never been camping before either, so it would be an exciting first time, and he was really looking forward to it. We went and bought a tent, sleeping bags, and other camping essentials to start preparing. We started going over safety tips as well, such as making sure we had plenty of first aid stuff, bug spray, sunscreen, and aloe. Some things, though, are a little harder to prepare for. The time came to head out to the campgrounds. The 4th was on a Friday, so we decided to go on Thursday. That way we could get there, look around the area to decide what we wanted to do, and then after we enjoy the 4th, we could spend time doing what we wanted for the rest of the weekend. When we got there, we found our lot that was right by four other tents. One was a middle-aged couple that was there with their dog. Two tents were for a family of five, the parents, two kids around nine or ten, and a toddler, and the last one reminded me of ourselves, a couple with just a little boy. As we started setting up, all the kids around were ready to play, going over to each person's tent and asking the kids' age and names, and if they wanted to go play by the water. He was my firstborn, so I was quite protective of him, and didn't want him playing by the lake without us. So, I agreed to let him play on the small playground equipment that was next to our area. I could see him from there, so I was okay with it. The four kids were playing and talking about whatever kids talk about, and the parents of the single boy, I'll call him Kyle, came over and introduced themselves. They said this was their second attempt at camping. They tried last summer and were forced to evacuate after someone caught part of the campgrounds on fire. They said it was most likely caused by a fire pit that wasn't allowed that got out of control. And they said it was fairly close to them, because they could see the flames and had to pack up in a rush, which scared Kyle. From what they explained, the poor kid was pretty scared for a while to do anything close to fires or camping related. They mentioned how they eased him into it, though, by camping in their backyard, which made me think we should have tried that first to see how our kid would react. Overall, though... They wanted to say thanks and for letting Kyle play with our son, Nathan, and compliment how well-mannered he was and being willing to pull Kyle in with the other kids. It was a very proud parent moment for myself. That night, and the 4th itself, were both great. Since everyone was so kind and welcoming, we had a cookout together and put all of our food into it. The kids were having a blast. We gave some of our little firework stuff, like smoke bombs, to the larger family, since they didn't have any, which kept them occupied. I will say those older two were a little more on the daredevil side. They were trying to throw smoke bombs into the air and catch them, hold them in their mouths, 
tried throwing rocks from the gravel road at birds, just things like that. Thankfully, Kyle and Nathan stepped away from those activities. On Saturday, we decided to have a little more time relaxing. After sleeping in a bit and having breakfast, we decided to go for a little walk through the trees. My father-in-law always took my husband fishing and hunting, and was always big on the outdoors, so he knew his trees and wildlife and loved teaching Nathan just the same. To our surprise, Kyle was just as interested and asked if he could join us. I don't think I would have been too comfortable with it, but then his parents asked if they could join too. They said they would show us where the fire was, and then we could go to a more secluded part of the lake where there were less people. We're not familiar with this campsite, so we agreed and thought at least we would have some more peaceful time away from the other rowdy kids. So we put our swimsuits on under our clothes, grabbed the things we wanted to take, and headed off. The fire occurred on the other side of the grounds. There were several trees that were still standing, but obviously dead from the fire. There was a patch of what appeared to be dead grass where they attempted to regrow it, but it wasn't doing very good. They had posted a sign as a reminder that fires were not allowed outside of their permitted pits or grills, too. The area was empty of people as well. It appeared to be open, but no one was staying there. It definitely didn't look pretty, so I'm sure that was why. From there, we decided to go swimming since it was empty. We hung out in the water, we all talked, and the boys were having a lot of fun by themselves. I think they wanted that more, to be able to do something a little more innocent on their own. I felt comfortable enough that they wouldn't get into trouble, and with no one else around, I could loosen up more. At one point, the boys started gathering fallen branches, mud, and rocks to make a cave for a rabbit they saw. I wasn't going to be the one to tell them they lived in holes because they were having fun, so I let them go. They started talking about being short on supplies, and my husband had mentioned one of the trees that were burnt that would have softer and easier branches to break. So, off they went to start collecting. They did this once and came back pretty quickly. But the second time they left to gather more, I didn't see them come back for a few minutes, so I hollered over for them. When they didn't respond or come back, I got a little suspicious and decided to head over to see what was going on. As I walked over the small hill, I noticed them quickly shuffling around dirt like they were trying to find something or bury something. I asked them what they were up to, thinking they were just playing some game, but they were both acting standoffish and quiet. I asked if there was something wrong, and Kyle responded no and that he wasn't feeling good anymore. I started to approach them to figure out the change in tones when Nathan said they found something bad. Thinking they were playing with something they found, like a lighter, I approached them, smiling, saying it would be alright, whatever it was, whenever Kyle started crying. Nathan pointed to a pile 
and started talking fast about how they were just trying to get dirt. I was trying to calm down the two young boys, while also looking over to see what they found, when my stomach dropped. There were bones in the dirt. It was a hand, with part of an arm sticking out from the ground. I just stared at it for a minute, not knowing how to react. I finally grabbed both the boys by the arms and started rushing them away, while shouting for my husband. They all started running over towards me. I guess my tone sounded alarming, too. I explained to them what I saw, and the guys went to go take a look. My husband agreed to stay nearby just in case, and the rest of us hurried over to a campsite nearby to ask someone to call a park ranger. From there, it became a blur. The rangers came out and looked. They had to call the police and tape everything off. We were all obviously on edge. After being interviewed by the police and the poor boys being questioned, we were finally cleared to go back to our campsite. At this point, we were ready to go. This definitely wasn't going away, so we decided to just leave. We spoke to law enforcement, gave them our contact info, as well as Kyle's family, because they still seemed like a great little family, and left. Later on, Keith and Marissa, Kyle's parents, contacted us, and they told us that the body had been identified as a little girl that had gone missing about a year back. It was then assumed that the fire was likely used to cover up the murder, though the body wasn't found at that time. It was hard to have that conversation with Nathan, to explain that there are some evil people out there, and that's why we are so picky about who he's with, where he goes, and that we want to make sure we know where he is. He was too young to have to witness something like that. It was a terrifying thing to see myself, and I don't even know if they ever found the person who did this, but I hope that no one that I know ever has to witness or go through something like that. So this was a collection of 4th of July horror stories. Nothing quite as patriotic as terrifying stories. That didn't really make any sense, but you know what? doesn't really matter. What does matter is this is a context-sensitive video. I released it on the 2nd of July, and it's for the 4th. I did it. I did it, guys. I have a holiday-pertinent video releasing before the holiday. Woohoo! I hope you all have a beautiful day, and I hope you are enjoying your 4th of July if you celebrate it. If not, well, I mean, you can still celebrate the 4th of July. I guess just you wouldn't be celebrating American Independence Day. You should still celebrate the 4th of July because it's a good day, just being the 4th day of July. If you like this video, please hit that thumbs up button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. If you're not new to the channel, leave me a comment. Let me know how long you've been watching my videos. I was talking to a friend of mine about another person whom I will call out, that is Coffee Cartoons, who has been watching my videos since my second one, because I used one of their stories in that video, and they have been around since then, and that is a crazy thought to me. So, I want to know how long everyone else has been around. Let me know. Leave me a message in the comments. You can also tell me which story you liked the most, which story you disliked. If you liked all of them the same, you should be like, yeah, brother, great. Uh, however you want to do it. 
If you want to support the channel further, you can join the channel memberships or Patreon. All channel members and patrons get early access to my content for just $1 a month at the minimum. For a little higher up, you get better things. For the $10 plus tier and patrons, you get posters. And my posters are legit. Let me tell you that. I just shipped out like seven of them, I think. Because I was really far behind on shipping them out. But that's not the important part. The important part is that I love you. You are valid. You are important. And you should absolutely have a beautiful day. And I will see you next time. And until then, sleep well.